I'm Trudy Kerr and welcome to The Interviewer. In this series, I'll be talking to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, performers and anyone who shapes the fabric of our society. Today, I'm joined by a multi-talented woman. This week's guest is a psychotherapist, a businesswoman, a television presenter, a mother, a wife, and a darn funny and brilliant woman, Mariana Demek. Today, we're going to be talking about COVID, the silent impact of COVID, the ever-increasing role of social media in our lives, and much, much more. Mariella! Hi, I've never received so many compliments in one sentence. <laughs> I did all right for you. You did really well. That 10, 10 euros really paid off. <laughs> <laughs> to collect later. Um, listen, how are you? How are you doing? How have you been? I'm well. I'm well, considering I think I'm quite well, coping well, like everybody else. And you are, in fact, wearing a mask. You're the only person I know who is, who is actually able to be understood wearing a mask. Most people are, you know, completely and utterly intangible and not able to understand with the words. But you're doing really well. Yes, yes. I like to wear the mask. I am very comfortable with it. Uh, so I'm used to it. So I'm used to communicating probably with it more, more than other people. But um, uh, you get used to it. I'm very used to it. And somehow it gives me a feeling of safety. Well, we can talk all about this because in actual fact, when I was doing radio over the lockdown period, I was talking to you on a regular basis as yes. we saw COVID yes. evolve and saw what this was yes. going to bring to our lives. But when I said to you, hey, listen, Marielle, I want to catch up with you again. You even yourself suggested, listen, let's talk about COVID. Let's talk about yes. what's happening uh, and the impact on people's lives. Um, and be, you yourself are doing well. Well, yes. And the first thing I want to say about COVID is that I think... It's been a year, now we're coming up to a year, and I think one of the things that I've noticed the most is the fact that people are able to realize how resilient they are. People are able to realize exactly how far they'll go to be role models, to stick to rules, to respect others. Um, I think people have had to be creative, and unfortunately, a lot of people have suffered. I mean, me, myself, I think I went through uh, a very extremely difficult time when five months ago my father passed away and uh, I couldn't I wasn't allowed to be my father passed away not surrounded by his family because of COVID because the visiting hours were eliminated even in palliative even when my father lay dead in bed um, the nurse who I will never forget uh, did not allow my mother to be next to him when he passed away and uh, allowed the priest, which afterwards I realized is ridiculous because the priest walks around the hospital everywhere. Why should the priest be here and my mother not to see her father pass away? I think a lot of people are suffering in the sense, especially the ones who are in hospital. They go to hospital, they go alone, they stay alone, they walk in alone, people doing treatment, people having operations people going into emergency and their families just waving goodbye and being left outside. I think those are the people who really suffer. It's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, I was in a recent conversation with my family on a Zoom call and my family are in the UK and it's becoming very apparent that what we're facing here in Malta as a result of COVID is no, by no means uh, what's being faced in other countries. But having said that, we are, as you've just described, 
far from normal. And we're stuck in this in-between land where we're doing better than other countries, but we are not in a normal situation and we aren't in a normal life. So you just mentioned all of these, these things relating to hospital, but what are the other challenges? Because right now, you know, we kind of feel like we're normal, but we're not normal and we not, don't have the freedom to, you know, get angry at this because we're doing better than others. And, and, and there's so many psychological games yes, at play. First of all, I really agree with you. I think we are. I think we are lucky because I think when we look at the way we risk and we look at the way people go out, the roads are busy. There's absolutely no idea of the few weeks of lockdown we had and about March, April, whether it was really, you know, serious thing where the roads were bare. Children are going to school, both of them, some online, it's true. Um, people go out, restaurants, are, are, people are still going out to eat. If you go to, for example, a place like, I don't know, Parma, on the weekend, it's packed with people. Um, uh, and we, we are, we are lucky because it isn't as difficult as a total lockdown as you see, for example, in the UK. Mm. I mean, the UK it breaks your heart to watch them. Um, I think the biggest challenge is adapting. I think the biggest challenge that people have had to face is adapting. Uh, people have had to face the changes without preparation. And the truth is people are not comfortable with change especially when they're not prepared. And this is where I talk about the resilience because there can be a sudden abrupt change in anybody's life. Sickness, mental problems, psychological problems, separations, um, uh, changes in, in life circumstances. Um, so that happens all the time, but it doesn't happen to everybody at the same time. COVID happened to the world mm. at the same time. So the process of adapting had to be done. Everybody, all together, we have to adapt. And people are different. People have different levels of resilience inside of them. They have original vulnerabilities that were there even before COVID. Um, uh, and people have different types of support too. You have situations where people are alone and because of COVID, they're even more alone because they cannot leave home as easily and do things that are available like they were before. You know, there's a lot of loneliness. But then there are certain issues where people were already vulnerable, they were coping, and the coping mechanisms did not exist anymore. When you say the coping me mechanisms don't exist anymore, what are you specifically talking about? Let me now? give you an example. You have a person, for example, who's either separated or widowed or the children have grown up or the children go out, they go to school, whatever. And normally this person would, in a normal circumstances, have the liberty and opportunity to do things where they can socialize, where they can learn, where they can have fun and enjoy themselves. That has been limited to a certain degree. So there are life changes. Life has slowed down too. So people have had to do a bit of introspection. They've had to take a good look at themselves because we tend to sidetrack. We tend to avoid many times real issues, how we feel, our fears, our thoughts, uh, what motivates us, what doesn't, the way we are with our family. Problems arise even in families because we keep ourselves so busy sometimes we don't realize, for example, that relationships have changed, that there isn't the intimacy that there was before, that the children now are spending more time at home. 
what are they doing? What are they going through? What are they experiencing? Before I came to this interview with you, I asked my 17-year-old daughter, you know, I'm going to go and talk about COVID. <laughs> I said, what do you... I thought, what do you think about COVID? My daughter, 17, was in sixth form. She's in her last year, sixth form. Having the time of her life, boom, abruptly changed, obviously. The socializing level changed for her, and socializing is very important at this age, even more than at my age. Um, she said, she said, well, let's put it this way. She was joking, but in a way, it had a significance. Um, let's put it this way. If COVID was a person, I think I'd kill it. <laughs> but, but you she think... wouldn't, let me make it clear, but that's how she's expressing it then. Let me just ask you this. Here we are in Malta. We don't have the impact that other countries have, but you've just described a whole bunch, and once again, a whole bunch of, of issues and things that we're facing. And I think, you know, me, for, for me, for instance, I don't, I haven't seen my family now for since 2019. And, and I'm not going to see them anytime soon. And you feel like, because we're actually doing quite well, you feel like you can't be angry. Now, you just described your daughter. She's angry at COVID. She's frustrated. Do we have the right, <laughs> do we have the right to feel of like course. that? Of course. Anger, frustration, boredom, loneliness, fear, worry. Uh, everybody is entitled to feel whatever they want to feel as long as they can process things properly and they don't allow the emotions to take over and overwhelm them because I think that this is what's happening to, uh, to certain people. So this is why I talk about resilience and I keep using that word because um, some people are resilient and they're very, this is what resilience is all about. How capable are you of adapting? How capable are you of waiting, of being patient, of knowing that this, if you deal with it well, it will come, it will go. Let's ride the wave and let's ride it together. This is a time where people need to care about each other, have to be, this is a time when people need to be extra vigilant on what is going on with each other. And I don't think it happens all the time. And I think that's why people then suffer. Because I'll give you an example. This is a time where people, for example, who are hypochondriacs, who worry about sicknesses, are going through a very difficult time. This is a time when, for example, people with obsessive compulsive disorder, who before COVID were washing their hands at 50 times a day with their skin coming off their hands. What's happening to these people today? This is about, for example, people who are um, uh, receiving services from community services that were having visits from occupational therapists, social workers, health workers, um, home so that they can remain in the community and did not receive these visitors anymore. You know, these are people who are trying to remain out of residential mental home treatment. And then you're talking about old people who need help, who need company, who don't know how to use the social media like we do. If I'm bored or alone or anything, I can go on Facebook and somehow, indirectly, I can feel I am a part of. But people who are of a certain age are not so familiar with social media. They depend on just TV, and that is it. They do not get a response. We're going to come to how we can help each other in a minute, and we're also going to talk about social media and the role of social media in a second. But before we get there, I want to just ask you um, a kind of like a very top level question. How do you see the mental health of Malta right now? This is what you're talking about. On a level, you know, a scale of <laughs> one to 10, how are we coping? I honestly think that there are very serious problems, but I think we are coping well because us Maltese 
I think, are a nation where we complain, we grumble, we're very emotional, we're very expressive, and we lose it, and, and we judge. Oh, we're brilliant at judging each other and pointing fingers. We're great at it. However, there's something about us that no matter, if you look at our history, I mean, this is a... This is nothing compared to what we've been through. We've been through the Great Siege, we've been to so many conquerors, we've been to World War I, World War II, we've been bombarded. My mother gave me such a beautiful story of World War II when she had to go into the shelter in the first five years of her life and, and her father going up on the room with a shotgun, shooting at the planes. I mean, they, they dealt with all this. You know, they dealt with all these. She remembers her brother studying for his O-levels in the shelter with a, with a candle studying. She remembers this woman reciting the rosary in a shelter and everybody praying and hearing the bombs on top. They came out of it. They dealt with it. And everybody would say, stop mentioning the war. This is still difficult. Yes, it is difficult. I'm not minimizing it. But I believe in the Maltese and I believe that they're very capable, no matter how bad they end up, no matter how sad or frustrated or angry they may be, they come out of it. It's like they, they're walking, and I know this is how we will come out of it. In the same way you walk out of a shelter out of a, after a war, we are going to walk out into the sunlight and, and, and be good. To be honest with you, we're already trying to do that. We're holding on so tightly to a normal life as much as possible that I don't think it's going to end up badly. But, but this comes back to something I mentioned before. And that is, you know, if you're, your mother, God bless her, she's in the war. She's in the Second World War and bombs are dropping and people are coming together and there's a camaraderie between everybody because you can see the enemy. Now, when we were in the, the lockdown, you know, just nearly a year ago. We had to stay apart. We had to stay apart, but there was a camaraderie. People were kind to each other. There were p- people yes. with banners outside their yes. doors and, and all of these sorts of yes, things. Yes, we're in this together. But this is a silent en- enemy. Do you think that we are as close-knit and fighting together as much as we were? I think initially we were. I think now people are, uh, are, are, some people are trying to stick together, but I think the experiences are very different. Like, I am very aware of COVID and I am very aware of the sick people and I am very, because I really suffered in COVID and I watched my father die alone practically in COVID and that will never leave me. So I remember the sacrifices I made. I've been wearing a mask since 2000. I haven't been abroad since 2018 because my father had an immune system leukemia. So I've been wearing a mask for an extra year. That's why you sound so good with it on. <laughs> You're used to it. I'm at home like this. So I've been, I'm used to it. I don't, you know, you deal with it. Um, but I think that then this is it. It's also an individual thing. For example, I know people who are educated and I know people who have judged against corruption, against lying, against tax evasion, against all these things. But they are finding the loopholes in things like quarantine. They are finding the loopholes in the rules. You know what I mean? And that's a bit sad because there are people who follow the rules. Mm. There are people who stick to what should or shouldn't be, you know? Um, uh, and then there are people who are in denial or who think that they are in this, you know, like a teenager. A teenager never thinks they're going to get sick, seriously sick. Unlike a 70-year-old person who worries about their health a bit more. 
It's like, you know, very normal. This is people who are fed up of being careful and sticking to quarantine and all this jazz. But people are cheating. Literally. But in this situation, if one individual decides that they're going to cheat the rules, it's not necessarily them that are going to suffer. It's everybody else. Yes, but when you have a lot of people supporting each other to cheat in the same way, and this does happen and it is happening, then you just have to stay back and do your own thing. And, and it's not about... Because we, we are, we, we're very quick to judge. We're very quick to go on social media and say, look at this one, look at this crowd, look at this, look at this. It's very easy. But then when it comes to you, you need to see how you really stick to the rules. It's also a time to see how assertive people are. Because it's very often that people uh, come in a situation that it's not easy to tell a person, do you mind if you put on the mask or listen, I'm going to keep the mask on. I find that, thank God I am assertive because I'm, I, I'm constantly, constantly doing it. I'll do it jokingly, nicely, but I will do it. I will say, listen, I'm keeping my mask on. I'm not taking it off. And if I'm long enough with a person, I would tell them, and close in close proximity, I would tell them, listen, put a mask on, please, you know, because I'm not comfortable. But people make fun of you. People laugh at you. People say, Allah, what a fusspot you are. I mean, people pass a lot of comments. Stop doing that. If you don't, if you're not okay with certain rules, fine. But don't uh, impose your lesser, the fair, and your attitude of, we are, it's not going to happen to me, onto me because I won't let you. But some people are not assertive. And some people with peer pressure, they just go with the flow. And that's a mistake. Don't do that. Believe in yourself and believe in what you think is right. We're going to come back to get some uh, hints and tips from you as well a little bit later on. But we, you mentioned one thing. You mentioned about social media. You mentioned about uh, vulnerable uh, members of society, uh, elderly or isolated, uh, who wouldn't necessarily have the support of social yeah. media. Now, yeah. social media has played a massive role during the COVID period because we have migrated online like never before shopping online, communicating online, uh, entertained online, because this is where we are now meeting, because this is our safe place. Let me just ask you about social media. As much as it's doing a great job of keeping people connected, it's also false and shallow in some respects, because you can see and pretend that feel like you're connected without really being connected. How do you see social media? How do you think, do we need to be careful? Do we need to be careful of what we're doing here? Let me tell you something. I mean, um, I think social media is great. You know, I'm not going to put it down. Thank God for social media. I lived in an era when social media didn't exist. You know, I lived in an era when I would go up to my room uh, when I was a teenager. And I would, uh, I mean, I didn't have internet, social media or anything. So my only connection would be, I mean, yes, there are pros and cons to everything. But social media does keep you connected. Now, everybody has a choice. When in my time there wasn't internet, I chose what books to read. Mm -hmm. Now I could either read a book that was a biography, true story, and I learn about real things or an encyclopedia or whatever, or the newspaper of my choice, etc. Or I could use read fiction that is more fun, that's more thrilling, that's more exciting. And I think people at the end of the day are very attracted to shocking news, interesting news, to gossip, to, it's called, in, in a way, it's called the Mortido. We're also attracted to, think about it, the news is full of bad news, really and truly. Mm -hmm. Think of what are we attracted to? 
We actually, for example, think of 9-11. Everybody looking away, yet at the same time, everybody looking at those two towers that falling. That crash create a there's car crash attra- TV. There's an attraction to it. So social media keeps you occupied. It's like you're watching a film. The element of whether it's true or not, then, depends on the interests of the person. Am I a person who thrives off the gossip element of other people? Am I a person who thrives off talking about people because it makes me feel better about myself? Am I a person who constantly projects and judges other people and is shocked and yet has so many secrets inside of me that I won't let anybody find out about them? Or am I a person who wants to know facts and educate myself? I think it depends on the person. But the truth is, social media does keep you connected. What type of connection? That's another discussion. Yeah, but you say that. And yet over the weekend, I was uh, cycling at Maya Strau. And there was, uh, there was obviously two or three families together uh, had come together for a picnic. The kids were playing just fine. They were ru- running up and down on their, on their bicycles. Every single adult, I looked across and with sadness, every single adult was on their mobile phone. They were not connected. They were connecting to someone, but they were not connecting to the person that was next to them. Well, uh, I have actually seen uh, people send messages to each other in the same room. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I might do that if I don't want my mum to know what I'm saying, but... (laughs) Yeah, I've actually seen that. Yes, it is very sad that people can switch off. But let me tell you what I remember. Let me tell you what I remember. I remember as a child when internet did not exist, where I would be sitting at table and my father, for example, would have the newspaper in front of him. I remember sitting in the kitchen as a child and have, uh, and have uh, the TV on and we'd watch the news together. You know, I remember these things. So I think this need to be sidetracked a bit happens. Do people spend... I think the majority of people today wake up and the first thing they do instead of talk is look at their mobile, you know, but this is the problem. I think there needs to be a kind of adaptation. I think there needs to be some boundaries set, some rules set. I mean, I have a rule now. If we're at table, uh, my husband, I, my son and my daughter, mobiles off the table. That's a really simple rule, isn't it? That's a simple rule and you simply do it. You know, it's hard for me too. I'll feel like switching off from all of them sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Let me check what Trudy's doing. <laughs> it's really not that exciting. Um, but I know that we need time to switch off and I know that that's, that's essential, but that reliance on this device, it can be so intrusive. So, so is, that the, is that the answer, is to, to give yourself guidance of when you're going to be allowing yourself to use your mobile phone and when you don't? Yes, I think that at the end of the day, it's too easy to connect. It's so efficient to switch off, you see? It's so efficient to switch off and it's so easy to disconnect from the, the scene you're in. And this is the problem. So we need to learn how to be disciplined ourselves. And at the end of the day, this is again where you see, really and truly, when I have the opportunity like when I used to work with drug, drug addicts, when I used to work at Caritas, I always used to tell them, you know you are changing, not when you stick to the rules because I am around. You will know that you are changing when you stick to the rules when I'm not around. When it's your choice, when even if you're not going to get caught, you still don't do it. If you're, you, know, you know you're not going to get caught, but you still don't do it. You have changed. <laughs> 
I always used to tell them that. And they would look at me like, oh, yeah, okay, all right. How much am I changing then? <laughs> you know, because that's the truth. That's when you know if you really, what your real values are. And at the end of the day, when I came, when I come back to the point of truth, it's so important that in our society, and I think this was happening even before COVID, we need to care about each other. We need to be aware of what people are going through. Okay, so give look, look, that's all well and good. But what are the pr- practical implications? What should we be doing practically uh, to be able to show care to one another? Bearing in mind, I can't hug you. I can't even, you know, I'm a, I can't even come up to you and go, Marilu, I haven't seen you for ages and give you a big hug. I know. We can't do that right now. When you now. saw me, you were going to hug me and I told you to get lost. <laughs> Absolutely not. I was not <laughs> never going to hug you. <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> Ever. But we are inherently selfish beings, don't you think? So how easy is it to reach out to other people, to care for other people, to look out for other people? And, you know, is this something that we have to work on and practice at, or could it come naturally to us? I don't think that... I think there is an element of selfishness in everyone. Let's not, you know, let's be realistic. But I think we need to be aware when, when people are going through a hard time. And I think we need to be empathic. Not sympathetic necessarily, but empathic. Check how friends are. Check how family is. Um, get a, go out of your way at a time like this to really see how a person is doing. To really see how a person is feeling. Because there are some people who are really suffering. There are people who are simple, who lived or were always fine in their life, were always very positive. But because, for example, they were very social, people they were sociable people they needed to meet people they enjoyed it it was something that made them happy and they lost it now because it's so limited they begin to get depressed and if you're not aware of these people and you don't support them and you don't try and make a link with them and talk to them and see how they're feeling yes they will slip through the cracks okay so because we are you know as human beings inherently selfish we think about our own agenda or or we are just very busy how do we get into that habit I mean is it simply a case of writing down on the calendar check how mum is check how Mary is check how Joe is you know is that to get ourselves into that practice because it's most people even myself you know most people will be too busy to think I must check how my neighbor is Well, I think for some people it happens naturally. It depends very much on their upbringing. Um, For example, I think I do it too much. I mean, okay, thank God I'm a psychotherapist so I can channel it that way. Um, uh, So, but I'm very aware, for example, if I'm in a room, and everybody can do it if they really give it importance. If I'm in a room, on a phone call, a message, a post, anything, I know, I can notice if it's somebody I know, I will notice if they're okay or not. And when I go, hi, how are you? It's not how, how are you? As in polite, how are you? It's how are you really, seriously, truly? How are you doing? You know, is something going on with you? You know what I mean? It needs to be a, a, a genuine thing, you know? And, and you have to, it has to be something from your heart. You need to really care. It cannot be a sense of duty. I have to go and visit my mom. No, you really want to see your mom. You really want to talk to her. You really want her to be okay, you know, or a friend. 
you know a friend is going through a hard time, you need to pick up from the tone of voice, from the amount of phone calls, from the comments made, from the interests, any changes, changes in weight, changes in habits, changes in relationships, even with our children. Children are suffering in the sense, especially teenagers, who would have started going out and socializing and it stopped, you know? I mean, people are going through different... I, you cannot generalize because there are some people who are dealing with it brilliantly. So you mentioned yourself, you're a psychotherapist, you know what to look for. But it, let's say I spot somebody in the room and I'm thinking to myself, wow, they don't look good today. And I go up to them and I'm like, you know, how are you doing? And they, yeah, well, you know, I'm not doing so good. I might not have the, the ability, the training or the understanding to be able to cope with that. But there could be somebody who is in a very vulnerable situation right now who could be looking for that support. Where do I go from there? Somebody say, you know, if somebody gives me an indication that they're not okay and their coping mechanisms are falling apart. Well, let me tell you, there are, there are a lot of areas where you can get help. If a person can afford it, they can go to therapy privately. They can go to a doctor privately. Um, if they can't afford it, there are also non-governmental organizations that offer some support and they offer it for free. Uh, if you just Google, you'll find that there are non-governmental organizations that give these services for free. Always ask for help if you don't know how to, how to, to help out. Go a bit out of your way. Sometimes it's not only to ask, how are you? Sometimes it's simply helpful just to say, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm sensing you're not 100% okay and I just wanted to know that I'm, I'm concerned about you. That person might give you nothing there and then, but that person might go back home and, and, and dwell on what you said. And it's okay to recheck, you know what I mean? Um, I'm, sometimes I just send a message to someone just to let them know I'm thinking of them. Um, and they won't even necessarily w be able to meet or whatever. But the fact that somebody has sent a message and said, listen, I'm thinking of you and I just want you to know you don't have to contact me, but I'm here if you need me. Mm. I mean, that's so, that's even that. That's like giving someone a flower, you know, that's like giving someone a little present. It's letting them know I care. Or maybe even throwing them a lifeline. Yes. I mean, I don't want to sound too, but there have been a few people who really need that lifeline and to really go through a hard time. Listen, yeah. you mentioned before that uh, there, we're seeing a, um, a route out of COVID. There will eventually be a light at the end of the tunnel. That's what you were telling us. Uh, and I think we all are looking at that. But whether you're in business or whether you are a shop owner or whether you are um, at, at school, Everybody, I think, knows that there may be some implications of COVID that are long-term yes. and our behaviours might change into the future. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you think that we will be changed by COVID forever? I don't think we will be changed forever. I think that the human being uh, is very good at forgetting, putting things in the past and moving on at the end of the day. There will be people who will remain affected, yes, like everything else. Um, uh, but there are people who remain affected because they lose a loved one and mm. they so there's that but in general if you look at history you will see that people move on huh? people do not remain this will always be something we spoke about like we'll always go ah yes I remember COVID you know 
I will always remember how my father died alone, but I will not remain in the mentality of COVID. I will move on, you know. Um, uh, so, no, I don't think. I think what might happen is that if people fall into a depression, and if they remain in a depression, for example, for too long a time, that, that will affect the person. You know what I mean? Not necessarily just because, of, you know, COVID per se. I think this is going to be one hell of a tale to tell our grandkids, you know, like, oh, yes, I remember. COVID, yes, we had to cover our face. Wish I could cover it now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mariella, I hope so. And I, I think we all hope so. We hope that's what the future is going to look like. Um, any last words of advice for anyone that's listening to this with regards to COVID? You, pa- yes. Parents or children or... Yes, well, first of all, don't generalize. Because... Um, It's true as a society, we suffer with the same thing, all of us, COVID, but do not generalize and do not judge because people people cope differently. The magic word that needs to come out of all of this, and I think if we really understand what it means, I think this will be a beautiful learning experience, is empathy. Empathize. And empathizing doesn't mean you accept all the sh- bad behavior <laughs> it doesn't mean that what it means is that you can try and understand and therefore you will be able to help support and cope yourself with whatever's coming your way there are good things that have come out of this always uh, you out know, of anything <laughs> we look at how many people are getting out into the countryside taking walks yes uh, we look at how many people are exercising we look at how families have had to spend more time together You know, unfortunately, that can also bring about problems, but that's another million other subjects. You have domestic violence. You have uh, people realizing their relationship is not what they imagined it to be. But then there are a lot of good things. I've had some wonderful times with my family. You know, I don't know what my husband would say about that, but mine was fine. (laughs) (laughs) Mary-Lou Demek, thank you so much for joining me today. It's always wonderful talking to you and so fantastic to have you here on the interviewer i'm looking forward to talking to you again when we are out of this covid season but for now thank you very much my pleasure 